You have 100 messages. Welcome to the Voicemail Poems Podcast. I'm Logan Cure, your host. I'm also a brand new editor for Voicemail Poems. The summer 2016 issue was my first, so I'm super excited to talk to you today about three of my favorite pieces from the issue. I was super amped to join the staff over at Voicemail Poems. Everyone knows that poetry is meant to be heard. The best poems succeed sonically and orally as well as on the page. So joining a project that values both of those elements of poetry equally was perfect. There's something intimate about the voicemail. That kind of recording is unique. It's not like a live recording. It's not like a studio recording. Hearing an author's voice in a voicemail was something that struck me as I listened to all of the submissions that we got for the 2016 summer issue was more intimate than I had anticipated even. So I am really excited to uh, get a little nerdy about some of the poems that were the standouts from the issue for me. So first up is Boilermaker by Alabama Stone. Hey, this is Alabama Stone. Uh, I'm calling from the Dirty South right now in Raleigh, North Carolina. This poem is called Boilermaker. When I met you in March last year, I said, so what's drunk driving like in this town? Your eyes stuck like you didn't hear me because you probably didn't hear me. In April and May and in June, I didn't know or maybe forgot that you existed. In July, I packed my shit and moved, sweated through every dress I owned. My thighs chapped and I hated the city. I started that drinking during the day. In August, you would condone my love for late-night waffles and lorazepam, my monthly habit of being miserable, and I knew you were just as crazy as me when I'd been thinking I'd be dead by Christmas. So in September, I think, I said, I think, so what kind of pills do you take? You stomped out your cigarette with a scoff, told me, someone, sometime, somewhere is going to want you, and I swear to God I didn't know I wanted it to be you. The only things I knew about her were the things you knew I shouldn't have known. Like in December when you said, I sleep on the couch when I'm there. Basically, I just feed her. I believe you and I could write an almanac. And if I could write an almanac, it would have the truth about what's really out west. I'm not embarrassed or sunken in with shame when in January I said, I could love you like this. Slammed a shot of old pro bourbon gripped the Miller light, and you hated that and tried to hate me too, so then in February, I kept warm by fucking some people I didn't know, and trying to forget that everything I thought I loved in January would be leaving me in May. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> okay, damn, y'all. Uh, Alabama Stone, that was Boilermaker. So, um, I'm pretty sure Alabama Stone had me at a Dirty South. The voice in this poem is stellar. 
hearing the voicemail is perfect, but I think even if I couldn't hear it, I would definitely pick up on the southernness in this poem, the language choices, the syntax choices, all of it is so like just perfectly spot on. Some of my favorite lines are, so what's drunk driving like in this town? In July, I packed my shit and moved, sweated through every dress I owned, my thighs chapped, and I hated this city. Those are things that feel so familiar to me, I think, as a Southern person, but also just so vivid. I can easily put myself in the world of this poem, in the world of this voice, and I think it's just really powerful. Probably my favorite example of that Southern syntax is I started back drinking during the day. I think that's just perfect. It was definitely a standout line for me in this poem. The story here I think is so interesting. I love the address to the you. Um, I thought that was one of those things that was particularly appropriate to the to the voicemail format, right? I could sort of imagine putting myself in the place of the you and receiving this message from this very clear and very familiar voice. So this poem is one of the reasons I am super glad that I got to join the staff. Um, I think this one's really beautiful and I'm never going to forget it. So next up is Alien by Emily Yin. Hi, my name is Emily Yin. I'm calling from Acton, Massachusetts. This piece is called Alien. They say empty yourself, and she says it is no longer possible. Define ostracism. Unholy ostrich, burying its head in sandy graves. Yeah, I'm okay. Consider the ostrich, which remakes reality through denial which is to say, if she ignores the elephant in the room, it eventually becomes a flea, which is to say, her smile hangs on a tightrope. She toes it daily, fearing that one misstep, one wavering smile or slackened hand will reveal her guilt. But happiness is not a path to walk. The line cannot hold. Things fall apart. She says help, and it comes out as great. Something got lost in translation. Great. Wasn't meant to be found again. Call her strange. Call her alien, but it's not her fault. She was made a leper by this world. Blame it on the sunset of her composure. Please, please understand. Such words are cheapened by a shaking voice. What is her guilt? Her guilt is written on her face, frozen and misconstrued as cold. Her guilt is stained on sawing eyes, breaking lips. Her guilt is not that she wages a war, but that the enemy is herself and the casualties are frightful. They understand fear of dogs, of darkness, of death. Hers is unforgivable. They say, speak up, and she says, you won't hear me anyway. Okay, so there are three things I want to highlight about this poem. I think it's doing some really interesting things with sound. Of course, that super playful ostracism and then unholy ostrich. And repetition, like one misstep, one wavering smile or slackened hand. Call her strange, call her alien. I think that repetition of sound is really driving this poem sonically in ways that are interesting. And then near the end, we get that they understand fear of dogs, of darkness, of death, again, with the the repetition in the sound. So I think that's really beautiful. I think that's one of the things that's making this so effective uh, as a voicemail. 
The other thing I really like about this poem is these sort of bizarre associations that it has. So, you know, we start with an ostrich and then we get some other creatures, an elephant, a flea. And then there we are at the circus on the tightrope. And eventually this all sort of culminates in this in this alien, this sort of other figure that's really beautiful. I think that's powerful um, in an interesting way for the poem to move, so to speak. Um, and the last thing I really love about this poem is that tension between what is said and what is meant um, and the things that they say and the things that the female figure in this poem says. I really identified a lot and I imagine a lot of people identify a lot with uh, the moment in the poem where we get she says help and it comes out as great. I think that's really effective and I think in a poem spoken aloud the sort of the tension between voices is really compelling. So again that was Emily Yin with Alien. All right, and the last poem up for today is This is the Poem That's Going to Get Me Out of the Mines by Ron Rickey. Ron Rickey, Leesburg, Florida. This is the poem that's going to get me out of the mines. Jonathan did it. He teaches at a university in Washington now, or Oregon, I forget, but he said he gets 50 grand a year to teach creative writing. That's like winning the lottery. I make 30 grand and my lungs are turning into a collection of twisted lies. I cough more than I think. I asked Jonathan how he did it and he said he didn't know. It was like God napalmed him with luck. He got some award for a poem about a goddamn lake and suddenly they pay him a thousand dollars to read for 50 minutes in an auditorium filled with students who don't want to be there. To tell him to seriously tell me how to do it and he said, you have to make sure there's a lot of mist in the poem that they can see the mist, feel the mist, and they just go from there. He says that poets love mist. They want so much mist in a poem that you can't see anything else other than mist. And then from that mist, you have something really beautiful peek through, and then something really ugly peek through. But it can't be too ugly, he says, or you're fucked. And he says, don't swear. He says, you want mist and beauty and a touch of ugly, and every word has to sound like it's linked, like it's a big game of Scrabble. He says that the real important thing is that you don't have to feel anything writing it. Don't get caught up in the poem. That'll trick you, he says. What you want to do is be a little mathematical devil and just plot that shit like Stephen King. There was so much thesaurus crap that people think you have a PhD. If you do that, they'll give you everything in the world. They'll eat your feet. They'll kill your children. They'll throw money at you like it's made out of cotton to light random Vietnam villages on fire if you ask for it. They'll drive a bellhop insane if it's your wish. He keeps going along with us to ask him if he could set up a reading for me at his college. He says no, that they only give money to people who don't need it. The more famous you are, the more money you, get, you make. The more we pay you, if you need it, we can't give you a cent, it's a rule. Then he's gone. In the way that humans do just disappears and goes back to his life and came to perfection, and I think of mist. I keep thinking in my head, mist, 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 mist. With all that sand kicked up in the air, the mask strapped to my face like I'm in Shanghai, the sawdust of air I live in all day, I keep thinking of a goddamn mist. So this is another one of those poems where the voice just had me. I think Ron Rickey's voice is so engaging. I think opening with the name Jonathan Did It sort of immediately brought me in as a listener. Uh, that just feels so intimate. And then the way this voice proceeds, 
I love the long lines. I love that it's one big stanza. I love the repetition. Um, I love that he coughs after he says I cough more than I think. So I won't lie. Usually I am not super excited about poems that are about poetry, but this one struck such a perfect note with me. I thought it was funny. I thought it was ironic and true and kind of depressing. You know, the struggle is real. I think it's tough to be a poet out there. And I think this captures it in a way that's like fairly absurd, but also really true. Um, I love the repetition surrounding mist. You got to make sure there's a lot of mist in the poem and they can see the mist, feel the mist. And then the caution of, but you know, can't be too ugly or, or you're fucked and you can't swear. I think a lot of us feel like we're walking a line as poets trying to make sure that your work is going to succeed in whatever whatever way that means to you. That's one of the things that this poem brings up is sort of that question of like, what, what does that mean to succeed? And that can look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people and it can be a really hard road. Uh, so I feel like this poem speaks to all of us poets out there in a, in a very particular way. So thanks, Ron Ricky, for this is the poem that's going to get me out of the mines. End of messages. Check erased messages. Thanks so much for joining me for the Voicemail Poems podcast. My name is Logan Cure. I'm your host and one of the editors for Voicemail Poems. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to me nerd out about some of my favorite poems from the summer 2016 issue. I would love to hear from you. What were some of your favorites? Also, don't forget to call us. We're published quarterly, which means fall 2016 is up next. That deadline is September 15th. So check out our website, voicemailpoems.org, to learn more about how to submit your poetry. Thanks so much. Y'all be good out there.